Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com, where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. All right. Welcome back. How is everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding Podcast. Happy Thursday. Jeff Gannon, happy Thursday. Uh, happy Thursday, Andrew. Happy Thursday, even though it's, what's today? What we're, uh, it's Tuesday. We don't record on Thursday. We're recording this on Tuesday. Out. We're recording this on Tuesday. 6.30 p.m. Tuesday in Dallas. Yeah, so if something happens on Wednesday. Yeah, there you go. Hope everyone has had a great week. Hope you are going to have a great weekend. Um, we are going to be going over some more questions. People have tweeted us and emailed in. So if you do want to do that in the future, feel free to either DM me at Focused Compound or send me a tweet or you can email info at focusedcompounding.com and Jeff's is gannononinvesting.com. If you do like the work we are doing here, feel free to rate and review and on iTunes. And if you want to get a thousand word write-up from Jeff every week, go to Focus Compounding for free and you can enter in your email and I'll put you on that email list. Yeah. Sometimes you also get them from other people as well as me. And it's not always just one. That is correct. One, the first 1,000 words of everything we put up. You got it. Alrighty. First question. Any views on the latest Berkshire meeting? Mm-hmm. Um, since And then he also asks, and since you print out 10Ks to read them, what do you do with them afterwards? Do you keep an archive for the ability to revisit them? And then he asked again, what books do you revisit most often? So we'll go down the list. What's your thoughts on the Berkshire meeting? Okay. Uh, Berkshire meeting, uh, Vine. It's it's like it always is, right? You saw yep. the Berkshire meeting too. We both saw it on Yahoo Finance. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, the question answers mostly like all the others that we see. Occasionally there's one, you know, uh, question or something that's really interesting. Yeah. People were disappointed, I think, that we didn't go. I got a lot of emails about it. And it people, seems to be a big like networking socializing yeah. thing for a lot of value investing. Yeah. yeah, somebody was telling me that you should at least go to the meeting once. Yeah, but that like the best part about going is the socializing, just kind of being around like a bunch of other people yeah. and meeting up with individuals and stuff. So maybe next year we'll go. Yeah, neither of us have ever been to the Berkshire meeting. <clears throat> you have been to the Daily Journal meeting. Correct? Yeah, and that was yeah. tons of fun. So I mean, I'm sure uh, it's just a huge convention. I mean, it just looks like so much fun. So we definitely got to go yeah. to that next year. Okay. Um, but um, what do you think of it? I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, same mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I think there's a genius. In, and I was telling Jeff on the way to um, uh, to our office to record that I've been uh, watching the archives. So you mm-hmm. go to buffett.cnbc.com and you yeah, could go great. back. And I started at 1994. Mm-hmm. And I actually heard Monish, he talked about doing this. I'm like, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. So the first thing he does in, in the morning, he says when he's taking a shower, I don't do that. But he listens to the archives okay. and he's like, um, so I get to spend 30 to 40 minutes, you know, to hang out with Warren and Charlie every single day. So I oh. thought that was a good idea, you know, yeah, my commute and stuff. Idea, yeah. So I'm back in 1994. Mm-hmm. I started this the other day and I think there's a genius in um, how they still say a lot of the same stuff in present times that they were, you know, 10 yeah. plus years ago, mm-hmm. you know, a very long time ago, um, you know, which is great because, you know, the principles haven't changed and it just... If, if, in my opinion, it should show that, um, you know, it's sort of withheld the test of time. Like, yeah, you got to always learn and continue to get better as an investor and everything. Mm-hmm. But there's still a, the general philosophy has never changed, in yeah. my opinion, other than you maybe from like partnership days to Berkshire because of capital constraints or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's all pretty much the same. But um, 
views on it no i mean it's just always fun watching them it's incredible their age uh munger's 94 and warren is 88 and mm-hmm. both of them are incredibly sharp still and i uh, just really yeah it's it's a lot of fun for me yeah i also got two questions that were there that were pretty good um one was what was their most interesting personal investment i think was one of them yep and uh, that was an interesting one to watch never that. heard buffett talk about that before yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Heard about the duck club or whatever yeah, yeah yeah actually there's a stock nowadays that's has a very some very strong similarity to that. Yeah, what did he say? Something about they shooting found, a gun? Yeah, they found so, oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically yeah. So it was a club in which they found oil. Yeah. So it wasn't intended to be started up as like a big for profit thing, and then they found oil. And yeah, I actually know a company that's very similar to that. I won't say it. it's a very tiny company, but um, that exists today over the counter and um, has some similarity too in that it they um, found you know it's the same thing mineral rights after uh, being created for a different reason. So. Um, and then uh, we, and then we have um, uh, the other one that I thought was really interesting. Actually, wasn't answered by Buffett and, and Munger, but it was a question about Progressive and Geico, and they did a really great job uh, in terms of uh, having an answer about insurance about the respective positions of Progressive and Geico. We have a write up on the website. Uh, uh, it's like a ten thousand word report, I guess, that I did on Progressive, which I picked as a stock years back, and. Um, uh, they really nicely summed up why Progressive is getting into um, uh, the uh, combining renters and um, and auto. But more than that, that was what the question was about. But more than that, it was describing, which I thought they did really well, that Geico has a cost advantage versus Progressive, but that Progressive is a better underwriter, basically. And that's true. Um, so, they're, by the way, they're both great stocks. You can't buy Geico other mm-hmm. than through Berkshire, but yeah. uh, you might want to consider Progressive yourself. I would imagine that that for sure Buffett would own progressive stock if it wasn't for the fact he owns Geico already. Did you see when uh, Ajit Jain, when he had he answered a question mm-hmm. for Buffett, did you see that? A lot of people were yeah. talking about, they're like, is because his hands were shaking so bad. So people on Twitter were like, is this a health issue? Or is he, I was like, I used to probably just nervous. Probably I mean, nervous that they suddenly <laughs> said, okay, yeah, just, stand up and answer a question. Imagine just like, you know, just like hanging out there. He's probably like on edge the whole time too, mm-hmm. like wondering if Lawrence can like defer to him or whatever to answer yeah. something. And then like all of a sudden, yeah, I get this guy a microphone. You're going to, you're going to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I assume that uh, nerves for sure. Nervous of being called out. Yeah. You know, can like, you blame Here, him? Can you stand up and get a spotlight on? So <laughs> random. Yeah, totally. Everyone, yeah. the whole place is looking at you. Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so uh, since we print out 10 ks what mm-hmm. do you typically do with them? Yeah, I do. I've seen I do, do generally. It. I keep them. Um, so I, I put a clamp on them, put them in a folder and stuff, and, and things like that. Uh, some cases I know that I'm not going to use it again and stuff, and then I don't need to keep it. But in other cases where I am planning to, I keep it. Um, do you recycle? Do I recycle the paper? No. Um, and uh, we get a lot of oh God, complaints about <laughs> people about our use of paper. Um, and then uh, the other thing is. Uh, I usually um, usually have a list of like five companies that we don't own that we might own, and so definitely all of those things I keep stuff on. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like stuff that I looked at a long time ago, wasn't interested in at all, thought it was too risky and stuff. No, I don't necessarily keep that. Uh, I used to when I had a different living arrangement where I could fit more of it, have like six or seven file cabinets full of stuff. Uh, that's not really an option where I live now, but um, yeah. So I do keep it, especially if it's potentially going to be uh, interesting again i write directly on the 10ks and stuff i don't really keep a lot of separate notes what do you do the exact opposite Is that uh, yeah I, I keep separate notes i usually mm-hmm. have like a, a legal pad next to it mm-hmm. and then what i'll do is when i find something interesting i'll just write on the legal pad page three and then like a little note or something like that like i'm underlying on the 10k and stuff too yeah. that i find interesting but i use a legal pad as well and then 
um, I do put it in Excel. Right. Afterwards, just like keep just for note taking. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe my memory's not as good as yours, but that's that's what I do, and just kind of helps, mm-hmm. I guess, keep it all in one place. And then when I'm done with the 10K, typically I, I do throw it away. Yeah. And then um, you know from there, if I'm gonna look at the company in the future, you know, maybe go to the most recent 10K or something. But I have all the notes and I guess all the work right. that I did. Um, it's all in one Excel file. Yeah, and I keep digital things too. I should say I do create a folder. And put in all the annual reports I can have from the past and all the yeah. presentations and stuff. So uh, I also request sometimes from companies. I think I mentioned that before. No matter what, even if a company, we do some that aren't SEC filing companies. But like if a company only has eight annual reports on their website, I'll always uh, write to investor relations and request every annual report they have that um, is not included there that they might have and stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. they send it, sometimes they don't. But I've gotten them to send me ten years that aren't up there and stuff before. So cool. Um, what books do you revisit most often? Like any good literature, they say the best literature you could reread right after you finish it. Uh, the snowball would rank pretty high. Do you do that because there's information you're getting out? Or is it just like inspiration? You just enjoy the story? That's, mm, I, parts I, of the snowball, I would say, is is actually information to revisit. Yeah. 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 Um, and... Uh, yeah, you can be a stock market genius. Yeah, one, it's, yeah. For, for me, it's the ones with case studies, basically. Yeah, some sort of actual thing that they invest in. I actually read Phil Fisher a lot, probably. Uh, I would say too. Don't talk about him that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Lynch too. So anyone who just talks about a lot of different stocks at the time, and I'm always really interested in doing uh, reading things from about stocks that were from a long time ago compared to today, when the market's a lot different and stuff like that. I think that can be really helpful not to get too focused on. Um, what it's been in the last 10 years or something. It's very easy for people to start to think that the prices that you see now, the earnings growth you see now, the interest rates you see now, whatever, uh, is the only one that there is. And it's nice to read from different periods in which things were so different and to kind of be able to think seriously about the possibilities of you know how different sometimes things are from what they are now, to have a long, longer-term view. Yeah. I would say for me, I do have like a, a couple of books that I like to reread mm-hmm. every single year only because – like I said, I mean, there's some of them I just, every time I do reread them, I, I'm like, wow, I did not pick this up the first time I, I read it. Um, the snowball is definitely on there. Okay. Um, you know, and that's kind of leads me to another point, something I do a lot. So it's like Alice Schroeder, right? So she had direct access to Buffett, mm-hmm. right? So obviously you can't, get, you're not going to get all this, inf- you and I aren't going to get so much information from, um, you know, from Warren, but you could almost like go up the food chain and get close with people that are close to them to learn a lot about how that person is so it's like Mm -hmm. the snowball right that's an incredible book um alice schroeder i've also talked about um she did a reddit um like ask Mm -hmm. me anything type thing all on warren buffett it's like that's like i always talk about like move up the food chain you may not be able to get in contact with warren but if you want to learn about him maybe see if anyone close to him is saying stuff Mm -hmm. sorry i got off a topic on there but um uh the snowball poor charlie's almanac you could be a stock market genius um this new book I'm reading, I can already tell, is going to be um, one that I reread every single year, oh. uh, The Joys of Compounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a uh, that's that's a great book. Um, that's one I have not read yet. That's yeah. new this year, right? Yeah, it yeah. just came out, and it is um, somewhat it's, – it's, it's an investing book, I would mm-hmm. say. But it's also a lot more on, like, life and mental models and okay. that side of the world, which obviously you know what I enjoy. But um, what else do I like to read? Yeah, Principles is a great book as well. Oh, Ray yeah. Dalio. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good book. Um, yeah, I would say those three. Yeah, and then four. in terms of things that aren't books, you've tweeted out lots of times all sorts of different um, sorts of uh, 
bits of information and stuff that uh, yeah. whether it's interviews uh class notes uh all sorts of things that you tweet out that are yeah good you know have lots of interesting things about different you know super best joel greenblatt's um uh, columbia class notes special mm-hmm. situations class i've probably read through those things probably like six times yeah so sometimes it's things like that that aren't you know officially books or whatever that you yep. can look at a lot definitely Alrighty. Next question. Any suggestions for calculating ROE or ROCE? You put Greenblatt in parentheses, mm-hmm. so return on capital employed. Uh, when the company has negative equity and or treasury stock on the balance sheet. Right. So from an accounting perspective, you can't do that. Um, so uh, it would depend on the situation. But uh, to be completely 100% honest, in most cases, it does not matter. So uh, there could be unusual cases where it would matter, but the the truth is that it's not, I mean, I think I've said this before, but for instance, if you were earning more than 30% after tax uh, on tangible equity, let's say, um, it's really irrelevant in terms of your long-term investment, whether you're earning 31% or 101%. What would matter at that point is just how much you were reinvesting in the business. Uh, and you're going to find that uh, if you were reinvesting 100% at 100%, um, then you know the stock would trade at a crazy multiple, and, and everyone would, uh, all growth investors would be buying and stuff because it would be obvious in the growth numbers. The reason why I say 30% is that almost no companies over very long periods of time compound their actual stock at 30% or more. You're going to see most can't do much better than 20% even over very long periods of time. Even something like Berkshire Hathaway had periods of several decades where it did 20% plus, but you know, didn't often didn't hit 30%. Most of the companies you can think of that are amazing stocks over long periods of time still didn't compound at more than 30% a year. So it just isn't that important. Um, what would matter is how much you're retaining when you get to those sorts of levels. So the easiest thing is just to try to figure out if it did have equity, would it be like 30% or something? Because um, people have asked that question about like the core business of BWX Technologies, which I like a lot, and things like that. And it's just not important. They can't get another business that's the nuclear reactor uh, for, for the Navy. And the, I know the return on equity is high enough that um, that's a better investment than anything else they could make. So it's usually just how much they can retain at that point. Um, in terms of the actual calculation, no, you can't do it. I always do a calculation of gross profitability divided by um, total assets, too. So. I do a bunch of different calculations that I don't really talk about. I also do different calculations by using um, property planning equipment at cost instead of depreciated to check on certain things, stuff like that. Um, there's all sorts of things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also, it's also helpful to do like a DuPont type analysis where you separate out the factors. So you would want to take out the leverage factor there, but you can still do calculations based on turns and margins. Um, if you ever see any examples of singular diligence, which I did, um, there are some pretty good examples of us trying to figure that out for companies that have negative equity and, and things like that. Yeah. Cool. What stock would you buy and hold for three years if you had to? For three years? Three years. Well, I, go, I would have to not name anything in our managed accounts. Yeah, because obviously you think so about five years. Obviously. Uh, well, no, I mean. It, but if it, yeah, we're not going to talk about that, but I guess outside of the managed accounts. Well, it would be, yeah. So all I'm saying is it would be stuff in the managed accounts. So obviously because I make the decisions on what to buy in there. So um, what would I pick for three years? Three years. Hmm. That's a real. Do you have an answer for three years? I'm so used to looking at stocks within the overlook the overlook space. Overlook space instead of large stocks. So um, well, so here we go. I probably. All right, three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's one of three stocks if it's three years. Okay. So we'll check back in three years and see how bad a decision this was. It would be Cardinal Health, um, McKesson, 
or Marisaurus McKesson. Bird. That yeah. always comes up on screen. So it would be one of the. It would be one of those three. Actually, it wouldn't be one of those three. It would be all of those three. I would say buy all those three and hold them for three so years. So McKesson, Cardinal Health, and what was the last one? Uh, what's it, Marisaurus Bergen? What's the name? It's a combination of some companies. They're all three distributors of, of medical. Um, uh, they're drug distributors. So um, I would pick those three because you said three years, basically. So the yeah. reason why you do that for three years, here, here's the thing. What's going to work over three years generally is some sort of contrarian pick in which you pick a fundamentally good business uh, that has some sort of reason why today it's expected to not do well. So uh, like I picked frost and progressive a few years ago when when uh, the fed funds rate was like at zero to 0 0.25 percent now the stocks have done well because the fed raised rates uh, i picked some companies that consumed oil back when oil was a hundred and some dollars a barrel that sort of thing you pick it based on something that seems like it's a big concern now that might not be in the future and so what's going to happen over the next three years is you're going to have a presidential election Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a ton of rhetoric and stuff from each side. And at least one of those two sides will be talking a lot about making big changes to healthcare. So it would be something that you think is a good business that has a really low PE and stuff in, you know, it's a super predictable business. It's the kind of business Buffett would buy, but there's something temporary that after three years will be lifted one way or the other. So that's what you would do. I presume that those stocks will be under pressure all the time because of expectations of huge changes to healthcare, but you kind of just bet on the fact that there won't be big shifts. And that's not a political bet or whatever from my perspective. I'm mm -hmm. just saying that almost always that's the case, that people project too much of uh, what's happening right now into the future and assume that that will be the case. So, yeah, it would be those well, those three, basically. Cool. And then the, the last question, it says, what are your thoughts on inflation and how do you factor that in when you analyze a stock? Like, how do you think about inflation when you analyze a stock or value a stock? Sure. So, I mean, I guess I would just use 3% for inflation normally. Um, how do I value a stock taking inflation into account? Some stocks benefit more from inflation than others, or I should say some stocks are harmed less by inflation than others. Um, I basically take into account how much I think I have to pay for that inflation protection. And I think the answer right now is nothing. So at the moment, I think it's a great idea to buy anything that does well with inflation. I don't mean you should buy anything that's not a good business or something, but yeah. I, I've talked before recently about Timberland, for example. It's not that I love Timberland. Um, it's just that I think – so Timberland is an asset that goes up a lot during inflation uh, and does only sort of okay in low inflation uh, environments. But it's not being valued especially high compared to other things, whereas sometimes something like gold or something is being valued You know, uh, to, to take into account that there might be a lot of inflation. Um, a lot of the stocks in our uh, managed accounts have some sort of thing where they would sort of – benefit more from inflation. There's some sort of cost plus type thing or some sort of real aspect to them. Um, so my answer right now is I think too many people right now are kind of assuming that inflation will be low. Um, that's not a prediction that inflation won't be low. It's the same sort of thing that I just said, basically, which is inflation has been low for like 10 years. I have no predictions about what inflation will be in the future. But generally, the best thing to do is if you have a 100-year period, which says one thing, and a 10-year period, which says the other, Everyone will be betting with the 10-year period. You take the 100-year bet. So you, you bet on the what you, you want to call it, reversion to the mean or whatever. So if the average Fed funds rate has been 3 or 4% and it's 0 to 1%, you bet it will someday go to 3 to 4%. If people are saying inflation will go below 2%. Which is what you did with Frost. Yeah, yeah. And it's what I did with oil. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I was like, let me find some and airlines, some cruise companies, anyone yeah. who consumes oil. What are the best companies in that area? I, th I think a good way to how you thought about it was it's not like you were – exactly making a macro call right mm -hmm. it was just so much at an extreme point where you're like okay you like find the 10 years right. probably down the line it's going to be 
yeah. not where it's at cur- absolutely. currently. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's what you do. So, um, which makes the process simpler, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would definitely say that um, that that is a that um, you right now it's a good idea to buy things which are more inflation protected, but only because other people aren't doing it. As soon as other people are doing it, it's not worth it. So once inflation was really high in the 70s and 80s, there was often too much uh, going into certain asset plays and things like that. And so then it didn't make sense to be in them. But if you get it for free, if you get that possibility for free, then you should take it. And that's true with other things with stocks where, like, well, Buffett's uh, uh, preferred and Warren's deal. The preferred gives him a good enough return if you know to, to finance the mergers in oil is what he's thinking about doing, and or his pledge that he would do. Yeah. Um, he gets the preferred, which gives him an adequate return, and then if he if things turn out well, the warrants are this kicker that he gets out of it. That's the way to think about it. Don't ever pay. Uh, don't ever pay for a stock in a way that you need inflation to get the return you want. But if you can get a stock for the same price and get more inflation protection, get more of a benefit from inflation, then absolutely do it. And um, a lot, and it's yeah, to some extent, some of the things we own um, will work out okay if there's no inflation, and work out great compared to other stocks if there was a lot of inflation. That's not because I'm predicting inflation. I just think that the stocks trade at like the same PE and stuff, whether they have the power to raise prices or not. Cool. I think that was a pretty good explanation. So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. Uh, we do do these Q&As a lot now. So if you want to have a question answered on the show, feel free to either email us, scanoninvesting at gmail.com, me info at focusedcompounding.com, or tweet at me. Um, that is at Focused Compound on Twitter. Um, in the last Q&A, we did talk about how we are doing two YouTube videos a week now, just exploring new types of content. Uh, there's obviously a bunch of different things we could do there. So feel free to follow us on YouTube at Focused Compounding on YouTube. If you like the podcast, you want to join our website, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and I'll take $10 off of the monthly price. And definitely as long as you do stay a member. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. Have a great week. We'll see you. Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. If you want to know more about specific stocks I like, go to focuscompounding.com where you can read stock ideas written up by me and other members. Membership costs $60 a month, but if you use the promo code podcast, it'll be $50 a month for you. Andrew and I also manage accounts for investors. To learn more about our managed accounts, email Andrew at info at focuscompounding.com or text or call Andrew at 469-207-5844. That's 469-207-5844. Thanks for listening.